This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. It has been such a joy to, to walk through the epistle of joy with you guys, the book of Philippians. And so today we are on chapter 3, and we're going to look at the back half of chapter 3 in verses 10 through 21, uh, which is all about keeping our eyes on the prize. Philippians 3 and verses 10 through 21. If you are, are new with us, the outline is on the, the, the back of your, of your bulletin, and you can kind of follow along. You can take notes there, uh, if, if you want, sometimes it helps, to help us, helps us to do that, with, to listen with a pen in hand, or keeps us in, engaged and helps us follow, follow along. So we invite you to, to do that. But find Philippians 3, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 21 this morning. If you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word. Paul says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider, my, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained Joined in, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these incredible words of encouragement that we see in this text to press forward to the goal with all of the obstacles, all of the trials and tribulations of this life, with the way that the enemy seeks to distract us. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on Jesus and to run this race that you've called us to with endurance as we look to Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. 
A few years ago, it was kind of popular on social media, and you would see this especially if you saw like a happy couple on social media. Sometimes people would comment on the picture or whatever, and they would, they would just comment, hashtag goals. <laughs> you know, I don't see that as much anymore. I think, that, I think that kind of trend in social media is kind of, kind of come and gone. What is not come and gone is our culture's obsession with, with life goals and, and gurus and self-improvement and goal setting are, are making a fortune. But what if we have the wrong goals? What if we're hacking our way through the, through the jungle of life and God's trying to get our attention and say, wrong jungle. We need to hear what he has to say about goals today. So what do we see in this text? First of all, we see something about clarifying the goal. We see that in verses 10 and 11. Let's begin here in verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, my goal is to know him. Christ. My goal is to know him. One of my favorite books of all time is, is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. God used this book in, in my life in, in, in an incredible way many, many years ago, and I, I often go, go back to it. What could be more important in life than, than knowing God? In Jeremiah 9 and verse 24, the Bible says, but the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Paul says, my goal is to know him. And what else? My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. Think about the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Can we know and experience that power? Well, yes. In fact, Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus to, to know that very thing. In Ephesians 1 and verses 18 through 20, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead. Notice here in Ephesians 1 that, that Paul is praying that we as believers would come to appreciate something that we already have. He says we already have this power. He's praying that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened so that we won't be blind to the resurrection power that we have already been given. The power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us, the power of the Holy Spirit. Tim Keller tells about a, a guy in Italy, and this guy was an atheist. He was bitterly opposed to Christianity. And so when he died, he, just in, in, de, in defiance of his lack of belief in a resurrection, he wanted a thick slab that would, be, that would cover his body. And on, on this thick stone slab, he had insignias that were, were written. I do not believe in the resurrection. I will not be raised. I do not believe in it. It's funny how a lot of times 
people who are most bitterly opposed to the gospel are also a little bit afraid of the gospel at the same time. Why would you have a slab built over your grave? But he did. Well, a funny thing happened. In the course of the burial, an acorn fell into the, fell into the, into the grave. And a hundred years later, a mighty oak tree had grown, and that oak tree had come up, and it just split that stone slab in two. And Tim Keller says this, if an acorn, which has the power of biological life in it, can split a a slab of that magnitude, what can the acorn of God's resurrection power do in a person's life? The minute you decide to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's the power of the resurrection, the same thing that raised Jesus from the dead. Think of the things you see as immovable slabs in your life, your bitterness, your insecurity, your fears, your self-doubts. Those things can be split and rolled off. The more you know him, the more you grow into the power of the resurrection. Amen. Let's continue to walk through verse 10 here. Paul says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Who in American Christianity even talks this way today? To know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. I mean, we've invented a whole theology in America of suffering avoidance. The gospel of, of health and wealth, the prosperity gospel. It's all about suffering avoidance here. But Paul says, I want to know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings. He says some, something similar in Romans 8 and verses 16 and 17. It says, The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Part of the evidence that we have truly come to know Christ is that we are willing to suffer for Christ. Sometimes there's a disconnect between us as American believers and text like this, that disconnect did not believe in the first, did not exist in the first century. These believers were being intensely persecuted for their faith, as many believers today are all over the world. They know about suffering for Christ. And we may reach a time in our own culture when if we stand for what God's word says about sexuality and many other things that we will experience some persecution for the cause of Christ. But what should concern us is not being canceled by the cancel culture. What should concern us is disobeying God and his word. The Bible says in Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Proverbs 29 and verse 25, the Bible says the fear of mankind is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. Again, what does he say here in in verse 10? He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Again, we just don't hear language like this in in much of American Christianity these these days, but we we see it in the Bible a lot. Jesus says things like in in Mark 8, 34, he says, He says, calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
In the first century, when Jesus said things like this, when he said, take up your cross, people did not think of a cross as a piece of jewelry or something on top of a church steeple. They understood that the cross was an instrument of death, of execution. They understood exactly what Jesus was saying, that to to follow him means to be willing to die for him. And we say, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to die for Christ. But are we willing to die to ourselves on a daily basis? Fred Craddock says this, to give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. We think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord, I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 for quarters. We go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor kid's troubles instead of saying get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of cold water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out on a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. It's convicting. Look at verse 11. He says, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Now get the flow here between verses 10 and 11. He talks at the end of verse 10 about being willing to suffer for Christ, even willing to die for Christ if it should come to that. But then he says in verse 11, ultimately, it doesn't matter because our destiny as believers is resurrection. Life eternal in a glorified body when Christ comes again and we are raised from the dead with glorified bodies. That is our destiny. That's our forever. And so that's why he says in chapter 1, for me to live as Christ and to die is what? gain. Our ultimate destiny is resurrection. John Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides in the 1800s, now called Vanuatu in the South Pacific. Before Patton went to those islands as a missionary, every other missionary that had gone had been killed and cannibalized. And so when Patton told his church in Scotland that he was going to these islands as a missionary, There was a man in the congregation, an older man named Mr. Dixon, who stood up in the meeting and he said to John Patton, you'll be eaten by cannibals. And this was Patton's response. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day of... day my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen redeemer praise the lord death resurrection is our destiny so clarifying the goal second pursuing the goal between now and then how do we live pursuing the goal look at verse 12 he says not that i have already reached the goal Or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by 
Christ Jesus. Verse 12 is notoriously difficult to translate from Greek. I love what the CSB has done with this verse because I, I think it, it, it brings out the heart of, of, of what's, what's here in the original, and that is that we, we press forward in the Christian life not in order to gain God's acceptance. No, we press forward because as believers we have already been accepted by God. We have already been taken hold of by him. I love what Tim Keller says about about this. Most religion in the world operates on the principle of I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. The basic operating principle of the gospel is I am accepted by God through the work of Jesus Christ, therefore I obey. That's what verse 12 is saying. He says, I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. If you were in Christ, you were in his grip. He has already taken hold of you. He's not going to let you go. Jesus says in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And see, knowing that frees us, knowing that we are already accepted by God, that we've already been taken hold of. He's not going to let go of us. What that does is that it frees us to serve the Lord out of love for him. Verses 13 and, and 14. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. The image here in verses 13 and 14 is of a, of a runner. It's an athletic metaphor. Paul lived in a world where the Olympic Games began. And, and so the, the image of the, of the runner and especially the long-distance runner, is in his mind as he writes here. He's, he's talking about a, a runner who is, who is, is pressing on to, 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 the, to the goal, to the, to, the, uh, to, the, to the end of the race. Well, in order to do that, can a runner, as they're pressing forward, be looking back? They can't do that. They'll lose time. They might be overtaken. No, no runner who's striving toward the, the tape at the end is, is looking backwards. They're, they're looking forward. And he says that in our race, part of pressing forward is forgetting what lies behind. When we go to the airport, and we have lots of heavy bags, big heavy bags. They don't let you take that stuff on the plane with you in the cabin of the plane. You've got to check your bags. And in the Christian life, we have to, we have to check a lot of the baggage from our past. A lot of sins, a lot of mistakes, a lot of junk, a lot of baggage that we, we don't need to be carrying around. Check your bags. Check your baggage forgetting what lies behind. That stuff's under the blood. 
pressing forward to what lies ahead. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Pursuing the goal. Third, running for the prize with others. Running for the prize with others. Look at what he says in verse 17. He says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Christianity is not a solo sport. It's not for lone rangers. Christianity is for a community of people in the local church who are, who are running for the prize with others. And he says, you need to pay careful attention to brothers and sisters who are setting a good example. We need to pay careful attention to, to brothers and sisters who are on fire for Christ and who are bearing the fruits of the Holy Spirit. When you see somebody who's bearing the fruits of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, pay careful attention to them. You see, we, we, we help one another run this race. We lift one another higher as, as we're in this race together. And then he gives a warning here in verses 18 and 19. He says, For I've often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. So who is Paul talking about here? He's not talking about the legalist that he talked about at the beginning of chapter 3. You remember at the beginning of chapter 3, we saw that Paul was having to address a kind of a false teaching from the other side, from those who were legalists who were trying to add stuff to the gospel, right? Add circumcision and elements of the Jewish law to the gospel, trying to make it a gospel of Christ plus. And Paul had to say, no, 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 it's not Christ plus anything. It's just Christ. You know, he's enough. All right, so legalists are always trying to add on to the gospel, to the Bible, right? Uh, theological liberals are coming from the other side. They want to take away what's in the Bible. And, and, and the group in verses 18 and 19 seem to be more of, of that ilk. These are people who don't care about holy living. You know, they don't care about what God's word, you know, says about, uh, about, about morality, things like that. Um, they had just sort of, so they were, they were liberals. They were subtracting. They were taking away from what God's word says. Of course, we don't want to add to it like legalists do. We don't want to take away from it like liberals do, right? We just, we just want to stay with the word, you know, with what God's, God's word says. The temptation in the culture that we're living in um, is, is going to be, and increasingly in the years ahead, the temptation will be to equivocate and to compromise and to take away from what the Bible says about sexuality and lots of other different uh, moral issues. We cannot compromise one iota on what Scripture teaches on that area or any other area. We have to come to the point where all we care about is pleasing God and not culture, not anybody else, just pleasing Him. Galatians 1 and verse 10 says, Paul says, For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look at verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Oh, what a way to close this chapter. Now, first of all, he says in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. You remember that we talked about this earlier in our study um, where Paul uses that term citizens of heaven again. That Philippi was a Roman colony and it was actually a Roman colony that had been settled mainly by Roman soldiers. And so the people in Philippi were incredibly patriotic about their Roman citizenship. They were incredibly proud of their Roman citizenship. And Paul is saying here that as believers, we have a higher citizenship. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to you know, be patriotic about your country. It does mean that your, your ultimate love and loyalty and citizenship is to Jesus. Your ultimate citizenship is in heaven. 2 Peter 1.1 says that as believers, we're, we're strangers and aliens and exiles here on this earth. We should never feel completely, completely comfortable or at home here in this, in this world because it's ultimately not our home. Our ultimate home is in heaven. We're ultimately citizens of heaven. And then he closes here with this inc- beautiful image of the second coming and the resurrection of believers being raised with glorified bodies. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Some of you are dealing right now with the body of of your humble condition. There's various kinds of things that happen to these perishable bodies, right? We we age, we we have diseases and, and sicknesses and and of course, we're all dealing with, with bodies that are, you know, that are, that are we're, we're fallen. You know, we're so, we, we, we still dwell with indwelling sin. We're still subject to, to, to sin and ultimately to death. That's the body of our humble condition. But see, it's not, not always going to be that way. Christ is going to come. And when he comes, he's going to transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. First John 3, 2 says, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. All right, we're, we're gonna have bodies that are gonna be, be like the body that Jesus came out of that tomb with. Glorified. Physical, but transformed. No longer subject to sin or uh, disease or sickness or death none of that he's going to transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body and and see that's what enables us to run this race with, with perseverance it's knowing what's coming in the future that's what enables you to keep going when you feel like giving up I was, I was running yesterday, and I, I waited too late 
to, to run. I should have run at first light. It's really hot yesterday. I waited too long. And so by the end of my run, I was like, I was, I, was bare, I was barely making it. I kept going, but I was tempted to give up. And a lot of times in our, in our, race, our race, we're tempted to give up. Trials come, temptations come, different kinds of things happen. We're tempted to give up in the race, in the Christian life. And the Bible says, don't give up. Well, what gives you hope? What keeps you going? Keep your eyes on Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy that lay before him he endured the cross despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God he is risen and returning keep your eyes on the prize Tony Marita tells about uh, something that uh, a close family member was going through and this person's just going through a lot of a lot of suffering huge trial at that point in her life. And so he just shot her a text to encourage her. And this is what she texted him back. She said, thanks. The tomb is empty. The rest is just small stuff. Every day, we are one day closer to heaven or to the return of Christ. Keep running until you see him. Stay in the race. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the Holy Spirit who empowers us, who enables us to persevere and to run with endurance in this race. Lord, surely if it were up to our own strength, we would give up. But Lord, we we thank you that you enable us to run with endurance through the power of your Spirit, the very power that raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. And we thank you that he dwells within us as believers. As we just continue in an attitude of prayer, listen, I would, I would, I would say to you, maybe in a crowd this size, others who are watching online, do you know Christ as your Savior and Lord? Are you in this race Turn to him. Trust him. Forget about what lies behind. For, take the, unload the baggage that you're carrying. In Christ, there's forgiveness. There's newness of life. There's a brand new start. There's a fresh beginning in him. Turn to Jesus. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls, who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call upon him right now, right where you are. Say, Lord Jesus, save me. I turn from trying to do life my own way. I turn to you and trust you alone as my Savior and Lord. Take control of my life. Father, would you work and move in the lives of people? 
Lord, to grant new life. Lord, would you ignite faith? Would you open the eyes of hearts to see Jesus and to know him? I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 